Come on, Ted, work. <laughs> well, you know what? This is a great time to sing a song about love. Well, it shows it. What's wrong with it? Ah, there we go. Ta da! Persistent, exceptional intensity. That's the title for today. If you're taking notes, you want to write that down because that's what we're aiming for this morning. And I want to say welcome to each and every one of you. You want to have Galatians chapter 6. We'll look at 8 through 10. We're going to start with verse 8. That is where we're headed today. I believe that God has an exceptional plan for Camelback. He has an exceptional plan for each and every one of us. And we must be persistent in our pursuit of that plan. So first of all, let me say welcome to each and every one of you. I'm so glad that you're here. It is always so good to see so many smiling faces, to see us praising God together, to be able to be together, and to enjoy the family atmosphere here as we give God glory and honor and praise. So welcome to each and every one of you. If you're a guest, uh, let me also offer our welcome to you. We want to get to know you. Do stay afterwards and let us introduce ourselves to you and get to know you as well. And I heard, we had, I, that Gail, you, you had a, your 80th birthday this week, so you need to give her a hug. Now, I know if it was Maddie, you're probably still a whippersnapper, but still, congratulations on making that milestone. It's good that, good that you're here as well. So if you will, please, let's begin this study by thinking about, uh, let's make a list. Let's make a list of the kinds of sayings that you and I know have kind of gone passe, that we would know that maybe our kids would not know. So, for example, in this picture, remember that uh, phrase, it's a Kodak moment? All right, you remember that phrase. How about these phrases? Uh, be kind, rewind. Remember those old cassette tapes? Remember those stickers that if you peel them off, they had the void on them, right? All those little things. Or how about, um, let me ring this up for you, back in the old days with the punch, the point of sales. Or how about, how many of you remember dialing the phone, right? You know, but remember those? Or do you remember, uh, hey, wait a minute, let me look it up in the phone book. Or you remember getting those yellow pages, right? Those big, thick bricks that when our kids could stand on, right? Those yellow pages. I think they're all like websites now. Or how many of you remember uh, that thing, I want to tape that movie, and you put the cassette tape in and hit record, right? Put that big old VHS in. Or how many of you remember Grimace and the Hamburger, and, it, and you went to this place, you say, it's a good time for the great taste of, you, you know the place, right? These are all phrases that have kind of gone by the wayside. Sometimes they can make you pine for yesteryear. And you look back and you think to yourself, uh, you know, you get a little nostalgic when you consider where you're at now and when you look back at where you've come from. And, and I believe that when we think about those older times, sometimes we can even look at church world and we have similar ideas in church world. We think to ourselves, here's some church phrases that maybe have kind of gone by the wayside. For example, uh, when we were known as the Bible thumpers, remember those, those times? How many of you remember fire and brimstone? Remember those times? 
Okay, how many of you uh, remember those times when the Church of Christ was known as the people who knew the Bible? Okay, the Church of the New Testament. These are things sometimes that need to get back into our conversation. There's an article that I'll present in a few minutes that where the key phrase in that was the church was in widespread decline. I don't want to take issue with that. Um, Christians are known more by what they are against than what they're for. You ever read some of the Barna group studies from Kenan and Barna? Or, or there's another one that they said, uh, Christian, Christianity is viewed uh, more increasingly in a negative light. Same place, different resource, but same group. Or some people have said, we can't lose our children in the church. Or, which is a phrase that I'm going to combat against, because I know my kids are going to stay right here. Or church is judgmental or boring or insincere or arrogant. Uh, the church needs to be more authentic and relevant. That one hits a nerve with me. Brethren, this type of talk can cause what's called negative reinforcement. Or it's a kind of a groupthink thing. When you think of groupthink and you have negative reinforcement, you guys know how this happens. Somebody starts to whisper a little rumor over here, and all of a sudden it passes all the way through the church. And remember, rumors never get drier or more boring as they get passed around, do they? They get juicier, they get more, they get, uh, more dramatic, uh, there's more emotion, and, and we kind of add our own personal angst to whatever's going around. And it can even get to a point with groupthink where when someone starts this kind of negative thinking, that the rest of the group kind of adds to it and it sort of snowballs. And we have to combat that groupthink with the Word of God. Because we have to be careful when trying to avoid the pain of that thought or word of action because we're in this groupthink mode. Let me give you an idea of this. How many of you remember in the old GM cars that uh, buzzer? That would go off. Remember that old buzzer? Really annoying. And until you clicked the seat belt, that buzzer would go off. And you had to turn that on. Or you turn your car off and that you had the light pulled out and the buzzer would go off again until you made sure the lights were off. That was an annoying buzzer, isn't it? Well, negative reinforcement is responding to that. It's responding to that. And sometimes we have to be careful because when we think about this, that we, we, we have to remember that a lot of times our attitude ends up affecting how we view the reality outside. And so perception often affects the reality. We have to be careful of that because it does matter to a large degree how we talk about the church. Because we can become the negative reinforcer that causes other people to lose hope, to lose faith, for people to just think that maybe if the buzz the, 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 of, of what's going on here, that the easiest thing is to kind of step out of that and just get away from it. And instead, we want to be the positive reinforcement. I want to give you some great news. Because uh, I read this study this week, and I've already read the pushback on this. But there was an article written by a gentleman named Glenn Stanton. And he talks about, the, uh, the, this uh, title of the article says this. It will tell you everything about what's in there. He said, Christianity is not really shrinking, but growing. And this is actually good news for us. And I know that, that this is talking about broad scope, anybody that thinks they're a Christian group. But I want to give you some positive news today. Some positive news to take home. And, and, and I know this is combating a false narrative that's starting to seep into from the media and from schools and teaching and all this from the outside. That's trying to say that everything in the world is becoming more secular. Brethren, has the world ever been um, totally, wholeheartedly Christianized? No, it's always had that problem of worldliness. We'll always be combating that. In Christianity, but we can get stuck sometimes in that negative thinking, that secularizing of things, 
Where we, we, we go, well, we're all going to end up in the U.S. like Europe. Or we're all going to end up like someone else. Or everything's going to go to pot. Everything's just getting worse. We need to combat that with the Word of God. And I, you've probably read this in the news. In the Christian Chronicle, they publish articles sometimes that talk about, you know, we're losing our youth. Well, when you mass media and you broadcast this, people are going to get scared of that knowledge. Instead of, you know what, that motivates me to buckle down and work on the basics better. Because I want to make sure to keep those that are close, especially those that are younger. Brethren, should we give in to some kind of Pygmalion effect that the church is in decline? I don't think so. I think we should stand up and fight against that. I say an emphatic no. And I'm just like you. Whenever I read research or studies, and I went back and actually looked up the Harvard study on this, because I want to know the same thing that you want to know. What's the point of all of this data? Somebody goes out, they do a project, they come up with some ideas, and they start to, you know, publish their findings, what does it matter for us? What is, where does it come down onto, onto earth, onto the ground, where you and I can put our arms around this? And when I say that the church is not in decline, I believe emphatically that the church that Jesus Christ established is growing. But it may not be growing the way that you and I think. Because the world is still worldly. And here's the title of the Harvard study. The Harvard study is The Persistent and Exceptional intensity of American religion. And this is a response to a recent study. This is a writing that was published by a guy named Landon Schnabel and Sean Brock. And this research came out to push back against this whole idea that is being broadcast by media and all over the world that's saying that the church is in decline, that things are just going to pop. And instead, actually, things are, getting, are, are going pretty well. Because there are people that will, will, we have to go back to and look at it. I want you to think about this. Were the apostles ever in a majority? Right? Was the church ever in a majority? Was there ever a case where we were so, we were so dominant that we were influencing everything around the world? And, and yet, because we were such a huge number? The answer is no. But when you look at Acts 17.6... Those 12 apostles, what did they do? It says they turned the entire world upside down. It doesn't take very many people to preach and teach the word of God, to get down to those basics of telling others the gospel message, to take the bull by the horns and turn the entire world upside down. And when you look around the room right here, I want you to think about this. We have plenty of people that have Bible knowledge. But we need to take that Bible knowledge and now turn it into Bible application where we go out and tell someone else that message. Because that message is powerful. Amen? That message will convert the soul. Amen? That message will take somebody who's falling away, somebody who's weakening in their faith, and shore them up and turn them around. Will it not? It will. So brothers and sisters, I believe that we have the best message in the entire world. And we need, to be, we need to be confident in that message. We need to be confident that that message is still not only just the same message that Jesus talked about, that the apostles preached, that Paul preached, but it is also a message that will convert the soul. And it is something that you and I are tasked with carrying out. So let me show you some numbers, okay? This, I get some back-of-the-envelope math. Now, if there's 330 million people in America, I'm just basing that on my back-of-the-envelope math based on some of these statistics that came out. 
And I thought, what are the what data would make would be the easiest for all of us to grab onto and say, what makes sense out of all this? Here's real numbers based on their study. These are real numbers. My back of the envelope math said that there are 22,400,000 people who still attend multiple services of worship, whether it's Bible study or worship. That's a lot of people, isn't it? That's more people in the state of Arizona by a multiple factor, amen? Okay, I want to show you another number that's really interesting. 92 million people, 400,000 people pray multiple times a day. Remember, we're talking about broad scope Christianity. I know they're, they're, that we can talk about the Lord's church versus that. But right now, I want you to think that there are 92 million people that are praying to the God of the Bible. Uh, one more fact that really will, I think, wow you. 107,910,000 still believe the Bible is the literal word of God. Their interpretation certainly may need correction. There may be doctrinal issues, but they believe the Bible is the Bible. Brethren, that is important stuff. I want you to know that Christianity is growing. That the Lord's church still is growing. You read about it all over the world. Where Jesus Christ is preached, where the Bible is upheld as the Word of God, where, where the this, this plan of salvation is broadcast. People all over the world are being pricked in their hearts, repenting of their sins, and obeying that gospel message in the watery grave of baptism. Brethren, it can happen here, it can happen in everywhere where the Lord's message is preached. And so we need to have confidence in that message. And I'll, I'll go a little bit more into that later, but think about this. Here's a quote that came out from an article that was written about this. It said this, it said, The percentage of Americans who attend church more than once a week, pray daily, and accept the Bible as wholly reliable and deeply instructive to their lives, has remained absolutely steel bar constant for the last 50 years or more. Right up even to today, that study came out in 2015, these authors describe this continuity as patently persistent. That means that the number in our brotherhood, and you probably know names and faces of people, names and faces of very real people that know their Bible, that, that have been members of the Lord's Church for quite a long time, that have been effective in their areas of ministry. And these, this, is, this should tell us something about the power of the Word of God to convert and to save and to root someone into Jesus Christ. We need to have confidence in our faith. In May 1897, Mark Twain was into a, a world tour. He was two years into it. And at, he was in London at the time, and there was a report that uh, it actually was his cousin that got sick. But his cousin got sick and word got back to the States. They said, oh, Mark Twain has died. And there was actually a, a newspaper that printed this uh, obituary on Mark Twain. And so Mark Twain got word of it and he learned about what was going on. And so he writes a letter to them to say, you know what, really, I'm not dead yet. And, and this is what he said. This is really interesting. He said, I, I, I understand perfectly how the report of my illness got about and I've even heard with good authority that I was dead. Well, my cousin actually got sick, but he's better now. And I can understand this report of, my, of his illness maybe was broadcast as my illness. But you have heard this phrase before, right? But the reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. <laughs> that, that is, I, I just love that. 
Because think about this. 22 million people still go to church. They, again, they might need to be taught the better way. But they still believe that there is a God, that there is a Jesus, that there is somebody that can really affect their lives and affect their eternity. But think about this. That's as different as the crowd might be from Sunday morning to Sunday night. There's still people coming to worship and honor God. Think about this statistic. That is nearly one in three Americans are still believing that, the, that God is real, that they want to pray to God, and that when they pray to Him, God will actually do something because He is a God that is powerful and He can affect people's lives. This other one is, is a third of America, one in three people, when you think about this. That, that is an amazing number. Do you know that when you look at the rest of the world, there is no country, if you look at maybe the, the next nine countries combined, don't even come close to that in terms of people that, that are taking the Bible literally, praying to Him, and going to worship Him on a regular basis. It is amazing in this context, in this country, that we are, we are even talking like Nietzsche were and, and thinking that church is in decline. Brethren, God is not dead. He is surely what, church? Alive. Now say it like you mean it. He's alive. And He's living and He wants to have an impact on your life. He wants to have an impact on my life. And I know that He can. And we have every reason to believe, brothers and sisters, that our best days are ahead of us. But it will take work to get there. And we will have to work together to get there. And I love how Rob Whitaker puts this. He says, you know, we need to put the Bible back into Bible study. We need to convert people by taking them to the Bible. And you and I need to know our Bible and be able to share that Bible in all the loving ways and all the wonderful ways and all the fun and active ways that we can get together with people and, and, and join them into the study, but we need to get back to that because the Word of God will convert. The Word of God will save because Jesus saves. And when we know what we need to know, we can share what we know needs to be shared. We know that God certainly and wholeheartedly will work with us. Think about this in the Bible when you see somebody like Elijah. Remember in 1 Kings 19, he runs away to Mount Horeb and he's scared to death because Jezebel sent him a letter and that letter is, I'm going to kill you like I killed all these prophets. And he's scared to death because he believes that Jezebel has more power than the God who chose Elijah to be a prophet for him. And you know that little story when he's hiding up there in the cave. And the Lord comes to him and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? I'm scared, Lord. No, no, you go back and you do what I command. You know why, brothers and sisters? Because yet I reserve how many? Seven, excuse me, 7,000 people who have not bowed to Baal. Brethren, we are not alone. We might be one body of camelback, but we are not alone. God will not abandon his people. And so we need to keep sowing. And that's what Galatians says, right? Keep sowing. So to please the spirit, not the sinful nature. It's the sinful nature that lives in fear. It's the sinful nature that lives in all of that tearing down. It's the sinful nature that lives in the realm of the world. And we need to continue to sow in the spirit. Because we know when we sow in the spirit, we will reap a harvest. 
Brethren, that is the truth of Scripture. Paul wouldn't have said it if he did not know that's something that could happen for us right here at Camelback. I want to share with you three reasons why. We need to keep working on unity. And then I'll close. Uh, because I, we need to have persistent and exceptional intensity as we work towards this unity. But I want to give you three very positive reasons why this is important. Reason number one is this. Reason number one is this. The church was Jesus' idea. It was not our idea. Because we need to be intense about this and think about this. Jesus established his church long before you and I were ever born. And he knew that just as the apostles had faced persecution, that you and I would face persecution. Now perhaps that persecution is not as overt as you read about in the New Testament. There might not be a government official or someone pointing a finger directly at us and telling us what we can or can't or should or shouldn't do. But brethren, you know that there is definitely persecution in the world. In fact, Peter was told, Paul was told, they would suffer. There would be, at times, some great joys and great highs and great successes. And there would be, at times, some great valleys, things that you have to work through. Holding on, leaning on to the living God. But the church was Jesus' idea. It is His idea. And if He establishes an idea, then you know that it will come to fruition. Now think about this. Sometimes the method by which we do things might, uh, might, the model by which we do things might change. The word doesn't change. The mission doesn't change. But you might, you might remember a time when uh, there were horse and buggy carrot, and then now we have cars. You might remember a time when we had paper-based sermons, and now we had, then we had recordings and broadcasting systems. Now we even have videos, right? We even have slideshows. Okay, the way, the, the method sometimes, the model might change, but the mission does not. The mission does not change. It was Jesus' idea that we would go and tell the other people about the word, about Jesus Christ and the mission that he sent us on. And we have to love his mission more than we love necessarily our methods. Because sometimes those things do change. And it's important to think about maybe the way that we did things 20 years ago or 30 years ago may not be the way to do things right now, and that's perfectly okay. It's the same message, it's how we deliver it. And I believe that when we meet people and we talk with them and we talk about this idea of loving Jesus and His mission, they need to know that we love Him right down, deep down in here. And we need to tell them that we love Him deep down right here. And whatever, that, whatever the next wave of Christianity that hits, or the, the method that we find that works for us, whatever that happens... We need to recognize that if Jesus established the church and the gates of Hades will not stand against it, then when we stand up and speak boldly, that we can expect at some point that we will find God bless that work. We can be sure of that. We can be sure of that. Uh, the third reason why that we need to be persistent is that the church is really here to stay. If we've lasted 51 years, plus years now, right, 52 years in January, then, then is, is the kingdom of God going to, to suddenly stop simply because we have some loss? Or simply stop simply because we ourselves have some suffering in our personal life? Absolutely not. So we need to stand up and be bold. Think about this, what he says in Galatians, well, I hope it moves you. Look at verse 9 of Galatians 6. Because he says this, he says, let us not give up. Don't give up. 
Don't give up. Keep pursuing. Because in good time, brothers and sisters, we will reap a harvest. We will reap a harvest. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? Do you believe God can really convert hearts with the gospel message? Then whose job is it to go out and tell them? Us. And we can do it. We can do it. So I'll close on that thought with this. I hope that we'll pray. I hope that we would spend a week in deep, devoted prayer. I hope that we would not only pray for the things that we want God to supply our personal life. I would hope that we would be persistent and exceptional in our prayers this week for this church. And I hope that that intensity would just grow. I hope that we would go out and tell the message. There's somebody in your life that only you can touch with the gospel. There's somebody in your life that only you can show them the love of Christ. And I believe that God will bless that effort. I believe that your labor will not be in vain. Because when we work for the Lord with that exceptional, persistent intensity, that continual moving forward, we can be unified, we can love on each other, we can forgive each other, and we can be successful because God will bless that effort. Do y'all believe that? Well, if you need the prayers of the church right now so that we can shore up your faith and encourage you, we love you. We want you to be encouraged. If you have sin that you need to confess, please confess that sin. Get it off your plate. If you need us to to pray with you about struggles or, or you need to, maybe you know the gospel message and you've heard it and now it is time to obey that message and you know you need to, the water's ready. We stand ready to assist. Please come while we stand and sing. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come for a table now spread. He's at mercy. He will reap And that shall be richly fed. Here the invitation. Come to the new
She said, pray for our children and grandchildren, that they would, they would come back to the Lord, come back to a right relationship with the Lord. And I know that pricks a lot of hearts here. So let's take a moment and let's pray. God, we love you. And we know that you are working right now. And you've pricked our hearts. And we, we feel that, that tinge, that distance. So we ask a special blessing, Father, today. We ask that you will bless uh, not only the Basinger family, but the many families that you know right here that are struggling with uh, their children leaving the church or falling away or, or pulling back for all the many reasons, Father, you know. Father, please work on their hearts, work on our hearts. Father, help us to find a common ground around your word around the love that you have for us, around the cross. We pray, Father, that we might have more people restored back to a right relationship with you, especially those so close to us. So we pray, Father, in earnest that you will work on that, that you will help us to find words of wisdom to say, find opportunity that is, that is the right opportunity to speak and the courage to say those things lovingly, boldly, and just welcoming, Father. We ask, Father, for forgiveness for the shortcomings that we know, the angry words, the, the root of bitterness in some hearts, and the, just the despair. So, Father, please move those things off our plate that we might have that clear mind and that, that motivation from the Spirit, that wisdom from your Word to be able to have those conversations and to be able to see you change those people's lives. We love you. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> we have some additional prayer requests. Um, I think we will have one prayer I want to cover with you once on those minds here. Uh, our sister Sharon Phillips is going to be having uh, surgery on Thursday. And she has some concerns about it. She has some apprehension. She has some hopes that she'll recover completely and quickly. You know, it's natural for us to have apprehension about things that we 
never done before. And just when you're thinking about uh, this is something you've never undergone, what has happened to other people that have undergone surgeries. And then you get wrapped up in all the horror cases of things that didn't go well in the surgery room. You went in for your tonsils and they took off your leg. Well, <laughs> it's natural, Sharon. It can happen. What we go to God for is that, you know, almost all surgeries that are on emergency turn out fine. That won't help you while you're worrying about this in the in the prep room and all that. It will help you to know that you have a family full of people here that are going to be praying for you during that time. Our brother Jack uh, Hoover writes in his prayer request when it rains it pours, and it certainly seems that way, doesn't it, Jack? That um, his sister Shirley has had uh, recent knee surgery. And uh, he's in that recovery phase, but there's some complications. I pray that it goes well. And his brother-in-law, Herschel, is in poor condition back in Rockford, Illinois. And Jack's asked us to pray about that. And then finally, his nephew, um, Barney Russell Shockley, uh, was in an automobile accident last week. He's in the hospital in Salem, Kentucky, in very poor condition. Jack, it does seem like when it rains, it does pour pour out to God our prayers for your entire family for good outcomes. You may remember a young couple that attended here several years ago and moved away, Matt and Nikki Connor. We got a call from Matt uh, and a young man that they attend to church with now, Jeff Greenway, came to Phoenix from Denver at the doctor's recommendation for a surgery uh, be a heart transplant. And the place he was living we're not good odds of receiving a heart. He came up on the list, so he's here, and that that surgery will be taking place real soon at St. Joseph Hospital. Jeff Greenway, and keep that in your prayers this week. We'll have some people visiting, of course. And I'm very touched by um, four or five pages of the prayer request here. And it's about people who are facing problems in the justice system just as Paul was in prison sometime I pray for God to bless those who are facing that for some disputes in the family over um, taking responsibility and prayers for people to step up and face their responsibilities People remembered because of the injustices that are going through their life and a prayer to let God sort it out and stop it for people to act in a Christian way. For this person's personal sins and transgressions and uh, how do you handle all these things when seems to be all coming in on you at one time. The concern is that should someone move to be closer to family or further away from some family, if they do that, only God knows those outcomes. We all go through situations like this, and sometimes we just don't come to the front and say, here are the many things that are happening in my life, but we all have many things in our life. There's a funeral service 
tomorrow for Kim's father and Pat's father-in-law. Let's go to our Father in prayer and especially remember all of these things that are happening within our family. God, our Father, we're so thankful that you put in place for us the way that we can come and talk to you and not have to worry about how you sort it out or talk to so many of your listeners and millions of prayers at one time because you just do. That's what you promised us and you carry it out. For those who have had uh, so many things happen in a family, for the Hoovers especially, we pray that, uh, that the rain on this is over and that uh, there'll be a good peaceful time and that Herschel will improve and Shirley will improve and that Barney will be able to get out of that hospital. We pray for Sharon as she gets ready for this surgery. It's, it's her that's going to have the surgery, not us. We don't know what she's going to go through. But we'd like for you to put your hand on <coughs> the surgeons and the people who are taking care of this so that uh, your will, your power, your word can be demonstrated through the healing that Sharon will receive you after the surgery. Heart transplants, God, who knew that it would be able to happen, but you invented it. You, you didn't take credit for it, but you gave the skills to the people who thought that that would work. It's prolonged the lives of so many people. We pray that it continues then. And God, when our life is torn about by our concerns, for the people that are in our life where we think we have trespassed and where they're certain they have trespassed. Isn't it wonderful that we can come to you not with malice, not with second guessing, not with trivialization of any of this, but to come to you to pour out our hearts and ask in your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> very appropriate song for our closing song with all of the struggles and challenges of life that Christian people have something to really look forward to so the glory land way after this song will be led in prayer and after that prayer will be dismissed I'm in the way that I
You have coupons? Is that why you want Burger King? Well, 